Amen. Well, if you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles with me to Philemon. Philemon will be in uh, verses 19 through 25 in this short letter. We've been walking through it the last few weeks and really watching and meditating on as a church that the gospel is not just the power of God for salvation for God's people, but it's also the power of God for transformation. And as that plays out in us as a church, we should be quick to not only see the gospel, but to speak about the gospel, to be filled with gospel encouragement to one another and seeing the grace of God in one another's life, so much so that we can't keep it to ourselves, but we have to speak about it. And last week we talked about gospel exhortations, how we not only need to see grace in one another's lives, but we need to be not uh, we need to be humble to both give and to receive exhortation, to speak the truth in love, out of love, out of the gospel for the glory of God. But this morning, I want us to look at these final few verses, some verses maybe we typically skip over, like what does this have for us? But what I want us to see is without gospel expectations as God's people, without expecting God to do great things by his power, through the power of the gospel. What are we really doing here today, church? Without those expectations of what Christ could do in a people, not only to save them, but to transform them. And Paul writes this beginning in verse 19. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your own me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphrates, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers, workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray once again. Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning. Lord, we know that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Lord, we know that those who repent of their sins and trust in Jesus, that they will be made alive. They will be made new. They will be new creations where the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. But Lord, I pray that we would believe the power of the gospel in our own lives today. That we would believe that we have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me In the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that, Lord, it would not just have implications for us as individuals, but for your body. That, Lord, we would live with great expectations that that the gospel that has saved us is changing us, is making us new, that we would believe this in ourselves and we would believe this in one another. Lord, would you help us be the kind of church that's filled with the expectations, not what we can do, but what you can do for your glory by the power that comes from you and you alone. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, expectations are resentments waiting to happen. That's how one author put it. Expectations are resentments waiting to happen. And if you've lived like longer than a week or a couple years, you would probably think that that has rung true in your own life, where, where you might at times raise your expectations to, to a level that no one or nothing in your life could ever meet those expectations. Maybe you've raised your expectations at some point on your spouse. And yet it seems like they've let you down time and time again. Maybe you have rising expectations for a new job, for a new semester that you're about to start, and yet it just ends up with disappointment like the other ones. Maybe you go on a vacation and you're, you have these great expectations of, of memories and ice cream and times on the beach, sunny days, and yet the whole week is filled with rain. Nothing but rainy days. Maybe you go into a football season saying, this is the time my team does it. UK is going to win the SEC East this year. And they disappoint you again. Hardest thing in the world is to be a UK football fan. Just is. They'll never meet your expectations. Or maybe you go on a, a date to a nice, fancy restaurant. And yet... The food is less than those pictures you found on the website. And for some reason, you just don't click with this person either. There's so many reasons, there's so many ways that we raise our expectations. So many ways that we might get our hopes up, where we allow our heart to believe this time it's going to be different, but yet we're sorely disappointed. We begin to harbor bitterness. We our hearts start to be filled with resentment. But what if I told you this morning that the problem is not that you have great expectations, but the problem is you have great expectations in the wrong places. You have great expectations in all the wrong places. This is because many of us have put way too much hope in people in our lives. We put too much hope, too much expectations on our spouse and on our boss or coworker or, or a friend or even an 18-year-old football player to catch a pass. Yet people are sorry excuses in our lives for a Savior. There can never be a substitute Savior. Or we keep putting our hopes in things. We put our hopes in a vacation. We put our hopes in our possessions, in our jobs, in our stocks, in our bank account, in our government. These are all small G gods in our hearts. And these idols, they will always break the promises that they make, and they'll always break your heart in the process. That's what idols do. They'll always break your heart. And break their promises. But, but what if I told you there is no such thing as having too high of expectations on God and his gospel. There is no such thing in banking all your hope and all your trust in what God can do through his Savior Jesus Christ in your life. Because that's exactly what we see modeled here with the Apostle Paul. 
It's exactly what we find in this letter because Paul has believed with all his heart in God. He, he has believed this good news of the gospel that has come to him. And he believes in the transforming power of the gospel. And he knows that Philemon not as, has not only heard the gospel from his lips, but he has trusted in this good news. And so now his gospel expectations are through the roof for Philemon, for the church, and, and God's expectations for his people today. What I want us to see is that the Lord is calling us to have great gospel expectations. Not because of what we can do, but, but what because of what he can do in and through us by the power of the gospel. So what would it look like if the Lord raised our level of gospel expectations at Christ Fellowship? What would it look like if we expected the gospel that saves us, that it can really change us? Like not believe that intellectually, not be able to answer that on a seminary class test. I'm talking about believe that the gospel that saves me will change me. It's going to happen because that's how the gospel works. I have two simple points from our text today. One is, in the gospel, there is an expectation of refreshment. In the gospel, there is an expectation of re refreshment. Look at, at verse 19. Paul begins to close this letter with a personal request. See, Paul typically would use scribes and people to dictate. He would dictate his letters to them, but and maybe this was due to an older age in prison or because most scholars think because he has issues with his eyes that most scholars think in 2 Corinthians that that was possibly his thorn in the flesh. Eye problems that always gave him troubles. But in these final verses, Paul takes the quill from the hand of the scribe and he begins to speak from his own heart. He personally requests some benefit from Philemon to to receive something from him. Listen to what he says in verse 20. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now this is no small request, is it? I mean, this isn't, can I borrow a quarter? Right? It's not a small request that he is making to Philemon. This is a God-sized request. A God-sized request for Philemon to somehow refresh my heart in Christ. I mean, think about this being a God-sized request. Let's just stop for a second and think about how God's people are refreshed in the Bible. Think about how God's people are refreshed in the Bible. Look at, think about Psalm 23. The words will be on the screen behind us. Psalm 23 says this. We all know it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. The King David, he's, he's writing about how the Lord of heaven is a good shepherd for his soul. That he's a good shepherd who leads him and who cares for him, who restores him. 
And King David is saying, the Lord is a shepherd who restores and refreshes me. Until I say, if I have the Lord as my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not want if I know Jesus as my good shepherd. Or think about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Another familiar verse for many of us. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Now, all those verses right there are probably familiar to all of us, but let's keep going. It says, but be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from him. And this is what's going to happen for you. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. You hear what Solomon is, is saying to us? See, he's teaching you something different than the world's teaching you. Opposite of the world, he says, if you renounce your self-sufficiency, if you quit thinking that you're enough by yourself, if you don't trust yourself, if you don't put any weight in your wisdom, and yet you desperately cast yourselves on the Lord, you lean all your weight on him, all your trust on him, what's he say happens? This will be refreshment to your bones. This will be healing for your heart to not trust in yourself, but to trust fully with all that you are on the Lord. Or what about from the lips of Jesus in Matthew 11? He says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is saying to every one of our hearts this morning, would you just come to me? Come to me, anyone who's weary this morning. Come to me, anyone whose heart feels unbearably heavy this morning, who feels burdened, who feels like you're carrying a boulder of this life on your shoulders, come and I will give you rest. Rest and refreshment, it comes from me. The rest and refreshment that your heart is longing for this morning is not, it's not coming on a vacation that's circled on your calendar in a week or a month. It only comes from Jesus and Him and Him alone. Or one more, think about these words from Peter in Acts 3. He's preaching to the crowds. He stands up before them and he gives this gospel invitation. He says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. And listen to this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The invitation, if you repent from your sins, if you turn to Jesus, your sins will not only be forgiven, but you will experience, your soul will experience a refreshment like Niagara Falls running over you. I mean, if you've ever experienced really, truly being forgiven, really being free, you know what I'm talking about. But if, if you think about it this morning, if you've felt dry, if you felt like your heart seems desolate and 
desperate like a desert. It, it might be because there's unrepentance in your heart. You're not experiencing the refreshment that comes from Christ because of unrepentance in your heart. So let me try to put all of what we just heard together. Tie all these verses of refreshment together because the Bible says having the Lord as your good shepherd will bring refreshment and rest to your soul. And, and trusting not in yourself, but banking all your trust on the Lord will bring refreshment to your soul. And coming to Jesus when you're weary, when you're heavy laden, when you're broken, will bring refreshment and rest to your soul. And if you today would repent of your sins and trust in Jesus, turn back to him again, you won't only be forgiven, but you will receive refreshment for your soul. A time of refreshing. And then Paul has the audacity to look towards Philemon, a man, and say, refresh my heart in Christ. Do you see how audacious that request seems? For us to look at one another and say, what the Lord has done as my shepherd, what the Lord has done when he says, come to me, now I can receive from you? Here's the question. Is this request for refreshment, is it Paul being delusional? Is it, is it a pipe dream? Or should it be our expectation for one another? Is this a ridiculous request from Paul? Or is it something we should be asking of one another? Now, you, you typically only ask someone for something if they can do it, right? Like, I don't ask my, my five-year-old son to explain quantum, quantum physics for me. I don't, ask, I don't ask that, that right? I, I don't ask my wife to come and play on my golf scramble team with me because that would be a terrible idea, right? We're not going to win anything. You're not, let me be honest, you're not going to win with me either. But my wife, she's not definitely not going to help. I don't ask McDonald's to give me a good chicken sandwich. You just can't happen. You go to Chick-fil-A, right? You just don't do it. But Paul asks Philemon, expectantly, refresh my heart in Christ because he knows he can do it. Because he knows he can. We can ask one another expectantly, refresh my heart because we can do it in Christ. Because Christ is in us. Because Christ is in us and living through us. Now, if your hope is simply in what I can do for you, how I can refresh you, let me be honest, I'm as dry as the Sahara Desert. But if it's about Christ who's in me, if our expectation is all built on what Christ can do through me by the power of the gospel, guess what? That means living water's in here. Because Christ says, I am the living water. And whoever comes to me will never thirst again. Jesus says this exactly in the Gospel of John. He said, whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart flows what? Rivers of living water. That's flowing out 
of all true believers, rivers of living water. For those who have Christ in them, the Spirit of God reigning inside of them, we are a living source, a source of living water for one another. And that's why we should be here this morning. That's why we're nowhere else this morning but with the body of Christ, because I've come that you might refresh my heart, and I hope I can refresh yours. There should be great expectation not of dryness when we come together as God's people. There there should be a great expectation, not of boredom when we sit around God's word, but an expectation of refreshment when we are together. We should expect that being together today will be life-giving to us. Paul expects it from Philemon. I expect you, Philemon, to refresh my heart because I know what the gospel has done in you. And because of what the gospel has done in you, you're going to forgive Onesimus. And that's going to be sweet to me, like living water in a desert. Paul expects Philemon to refresh his heart. Guess what? We should expect to refresh one another by how we forgive with one another. We should expect to refresh with one another, by how we love one another, by how we're patient with one another, how we encourage one another. When we gather around this table, we should expect to be refreshed, not by just a, a small uh, sample size of juice. This isn't about just a Sam's Club sample size of juice and bread. This is about being refreshed in the gospel together when we come to the table. We should expect to be refreshed by how we love one another and love our spouses and care for our kids and strive for holiness and fight sin and pray for one another and treasure Christ and singing together, forgiving one another. And the list could go on and on and on. Listen, the Lord expects for you to be refreshed today by one another. The question is, do you have that same expectation? Did you have that same expectation when you came together with God's people today? In the gospel, we have an expectation of refreshment. But second of all, in the gospel, we have an expectation of obedience. Paul makes this request to refresh my heart by forgiving Onesimus, just as Christ had forgiven, to welcome him back, to receive him back. Now, again, that's a a big request, that request not only to to give, not a big ask, but a a request that in my heart, I don't know about yours, but when I ask someone to do big, something big like forgive someone or or to love someone or to welcome someone back, sometimes I'm, I'm hesitant to wonder, are they actually going to come through? But what does Paul say in verse 21? Confident of your obedience. You see it there? Confident of your obedience. Paul is not ultimately confident in Philemon. He's confident ultimately in in God and his gospel and what the gospel is doing in the heart and the life of Philemon. He he knows the gospel that he shared with Philemon and he he knows the good news that saved him, that, that Jesus Christ is a perfect Savior who lived 
perfectly in his place and who died on the cross as a substitute, dying a death that Philemon deserved. But then three days later, he rose again, and he knows that Philemon's not only heard that good news, but he's repented of his sins and received Christ as his Lord and Savior. Because he knows he's trusted in Christ, he knows that the gospel changes everything. Because he knows that the gospel that, say, that, that he shared with Philemon, that saved Philemon, that, that same gospel is the gospel that's sanctifying Philemon. He's confident that the gospel is not just a ticket to heaven, what we've made it in the Bible Belt Church. A ticket to heaven that has no expectation on your life, no expectation of holiness, no expectation, expectation of change. That's not... The gospel, no, he knows it's not just a ticket to heaven, but a transformative power in his life today. He's confident that Jesus' lavish forgiveness that he has received will be the same lavish forgiveness that he gives Onesimus. He's confident in this. Are you confident when you look at your brothers and sisters like that? Are you confident like Paul? Let me ask it theologically. Do do you believe in the doctrine of sanctification? Now, we might not know what that means. That might be a big theological term for some of us, but let's talk about what sanctification is. You, You know, the act of justification is an instantaneous act, an instantaneous act by which we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior. And in that moment, we're declared not guilty. It's a legal term. It was a term used in the court day. So in a moment, you can be a sinner before a holy God, but by receiving Christ as your Savior, by being born again, you are declared not guilty. You are declared righteous, fully righteous in Christ. Fully righteous in Him. But the act of sanctification is another part of salvation. It's another part of salvation that's not instantaneous. It's a process by which those who are being saved are being made more and more like Jesus. Progressively transformed more and more each day to look like your Savior. It comes together. Those who are justified will be sanctified and will one day be glorified. So I ask again, do you believe in the doctrine of sanctification? Do do you trust the process? Do you trust the process that God is working in and through you what you could not work in and through yourself? Do you believe that those who are truly saved by Jesus are being changed by Jesus? Do you believe that the gospel that changes a sinner's desire, now it changes their desire so that they want to obey? They don't want to sin. They now want to obey. As one pastor says, the gospel broke my wanter. It changed what I want. It gave me new desires for the things of Christ where now and now I I hate sin more and more each day and I love Jesus more and more each day. That's what the gospel does in a believer. Do you hear what I said? I didn't say this is, I didn't say this is what the gospel can do in a believer. 
This is what the gospel does. It not only saves you, but it sanctifies you. I remember a pastor saying something one time that really stuck with me. One of his members came up to him and he was pointing out something that another member was doing. He was pointing out that a member was, I don't know what it was, gossiping or doing something within the church, something that he clearly saw as a deficiency, something lacking in his brother. And I'll never forget the pastor's response was, well, I I know that God's not done with him yet. I know that God's not done with him yet. You see, rather than growing in frustration, rather than growing in a feeling of being disappointed, no, he's filled with gospel expectation. The the pastor is saying, I trust the process. I, I trust that the Lord is not done with him yet. I trust the Lord is not done with us in our coveting, in our gossip, in our jealousy, in our frustration, in our pride, in our anger. God is not done with one another. He is working in us to bring about good for his glory. Can you look at a brother and sister in Christ and say the words that the Apostle Paul says? Can you look at someone and say, I'm confident of your obedience? You should forgive that person. You should forgive your sister that you're harboring that against. And because you're in Christ, I'm confident of your obedience. I'm confident I'm going to see change in your life without hesitation. Can you say that honestly? Or even more, like Paul, can, can you look at a brother and sister in Christ? Look at verse 21, and he says, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. You see that? You'll do even more than I'm even going to ask you. I know it's a big ask for you to forgive and receive Onesimus, but listen, I'm already expecting when I get a report back, I'm already expecting to be joyfully surprised when you're going to do more than I could even ask. More than I even wrote down on paper. Do you feel like that towards your brothers and sisters? Do you believe that the gospel is working powerfully in them like that? Is that the disposition of your heart? I'm confident of your obedience. Or does your heart normally say things like, he's never going to be different. She'll, She'll never change. You're always going to be this way. You realize when you're frustrated at your spouse or, you know, your husband and your wife, and you say things like, you're never going to be different. You're never going to change. Do you realize that you're not just doubting your spouse, you're actually doubting God and the gospel? That's what's happening with your words. You're doubting the power of God and what God can do through your spouse by the power of the gospel. I mean, do you realize that when you look at your children or your friends or your roommate or a member of this church and you think in your heart, maybe you don't say it, maybe you flatter them with your words, but in your heart you're saying, you know what, they'll probably never change. You're saying right then in that moment, you know, The gospel that had the power to save me doesn't have the power to change you. You're trying to strip the gospel of its power. You're trying to neuter the gospel of all its power and all that it can do 
through the power of God. Let me talk to those among us who might be struggling with addiction today. You know, when your family members say, you're never going to change, you're always going to be this way. That is a person in your life who's taking Jesus out of the equation. It is taking Jesus out of the equation. Because when you take Jesus out of the, of the equation, none of us can change. Y'all realize that, right? When we take Jesus out of the equation, none of us can change. We don't have the power. We should all give up. But if we would repent of our sins and to cast all our hope in a Savior, Jesus Christ, who not only lived and died, but he rose again and came up victoriously out of the tomb, then guess what happens for all those who believe? We're made new. 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old is gone. Behold, the new has come. Romans 8, for those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you've been called to Christ, you've been made like Christ. You're going to be made more and more and more like Christ. One day I was talking to someone about their marriage in a marriage that at, at that time felt unfixable to this person. And I simply said, I just never want to get to the place in my ministry where I stop believing the power of the gospel. Where I stop believing the power of the gospel. To stop believing that a marriage that seems and looks unrepairable that it can be unified again through repentance and grace towards one another. That a marriage that seems so dry and desolate like a desert, dry and desolate like a desert can, like Ezekiel 36 says, look once again like the Garden of Eden, beautiful again. I can say that because that's been my marriage. I would say the first couple years of our marriage were in some ways feeling devastated, feeling desolate, feeling broken, wanting to give up, looking like there is no good that could come out of this. And there were days of taking Jesus out of the equation. But Ezekiel 36 says that he will take those desolate places and he will make them beautiful like the Garden of Eden again. And I can testify of the power of the gospel not what I can do in fixing a marriage, but what Christ can do in and through broken people reaching out to him. I never want to stop believing the power of the gospel. Do you believe it this morning? Ask yourself, do I really believe the power of the gospel? Not on paper, not you can quote a verse. You believe it with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. I never want to stop believing that a brother could come in here today dealing with an addiction to porn or addiction to pride. And even this morning, have a disgust for it by the power of the gospel. Leave with a disgust for it. I never want to believe that a Christian who's struggling with anxiety and worry could not one day be filled with full trust in a God who is in control. I never want to stop believing that a sister struggling with gossip or jealousy or covetedness 
will one day lose their distaste for them forever. I mean, I believe with everything in me that the spirit of the living God can sweep through Afghanistan this morning and turn rebel Taliban soldiers into redeemed sons of God. Do, do you believe that about the gospel? Do you believe that? If you don't believe that, you don't believe the gospel. Don't ask Paul if he believes that or not, because he was a rebel persecuting the church who's now writing a letter, letter talking about the forgiveness and grace found in Jesus Christ. I have the audacity to have gospel expectations from the gospel. Gospel expectations that the gospel is still the power of God. To believe that God is actively working in brothers and sisters of Christ's fellowship. To believe that we can look at one another and say, confident of your obedience because God is actively doing something. For some of you this morning, maybe the loudest voice in your life and in your heart, the loudest voice saying you'll never be different, you'll, you'll never change, you'll never quit sinning, you'll never quit giving in to that sin, you'll always be a failure, maybe the loudest voice is you today. That's the loudest voice in your life. You need to cry out to Jesus just like the Father in Mark 9 and say, Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. You need to believe the gospel again, that you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then God is not through with you yet. He is making you more and more like Jesus. And you need this church family, brothers and sisters around you, close to you, echoing these words when you won't say them to yourself, saying God is still working. You have to trust the process. God is still doing something in and through you for his glory and for your joy. And you need to believe it. You know, after meditating on this passage all week, I've, I've come to this realization, meditating on this passage. The extent to which we have gospel expectations is the extent to which Christ's fellowship will have gospel community. The extent to which we have gospel expectations is the extent to which we will have and experience gospel community. Because no one wants to belong to a community where, where people expect nothing from you, where they don't think you have anything to offer them where they expect you to never change, they expect you to always disappoint them, to expect you to always fail. That's a graceless community. That is a church that doesn't believe the gospel. But true community comes when, when we expect, like Paul to Philemon, we expect to be refreshed by one another. We expect to watch one another walk in obedience. We expect to see one another look more and more like Jesus. We expect to, for the gospel that saved us to be the gospel that changes us. Because we expect that Jesus is still doing what he came to do. To seek and save the lost. And to make them new again. And we believe it with all our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would help us as your people. Oh, Lord, you would help us with our unbelief when we, Father, quit believing that you can do 
through us to one another, great, giving grace and refreshment by the power of the gospel to one another. Lord, we pray that you would help our unbelief when we don't believe that the gospel that saves us is the gospel that sanctifies us, that it is changing us, that it is working in and through us to make us more like Jesus. Lord, forgive us when we haven't believed all that you've promised to do in your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill us, oh, that you would fill us with encouragement, that you would fill us with gospel exhortations, that you would fill us, Lord, with expectations, not of what we can do, but what you can do in and through us by the power of Jesus, in and through us for the glory of your name, in and through us for our joy. Lord, as this church is filled with your grace, Lord, we pray you would do that for the glory of your name. Again, we can't do it without you, Lord. So we pray that you would fill us with your joy, with your grace, with your power to do what you and you alone can do for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.